This is the Swampscott Library's Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Julie Travers. Today on the podcast, I have an interview with James Hinkins, a USA Today bestselling author of numerous thrillers, mysteries, and suspense novels, including The Inside Dark, The Prettiest One, Shady Cross, Brothers and Bones, Jack of Spades, and Drawn, each of which spent time in the Kindle Top 100 and became Amazon number one category bestsellers. Hankins lives in Marblehead with his family. We discuss his career transition from working in Hollywood to working as a lawyer to becoming a writer, and he gives a lot of insight on how fiction authors can break into the industry through the self-publishing process. Enjoy. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, Julie. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, I just was looking over your, your bio and um, your website and the information that you have up there, and it sounds like you've had a really varied career path. Do you mind telling us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I started out wanting to be a filmmaker, um, which isn't the easiest thing in the world to, to break into. I did go to NYU um, film school and had hoped to uh, become a writer and a director. I, I love telling, telling stories, and I, I had hoped to tell them cinematically uh, for a while, but got out to Hollywood. I, I did that for a while. Uh, and uh, had such staggering success that I ended up going to law school a few years later. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, never lost the storytelling bug. And so, you know, I put it aside a little bit because law school is very uh, uh, intense and um, study intensive period. So I wasn't able to, to do a lot of creative writing. But then once I graduated law school and started working, um, I was clerking for the Connecticut Supreme Court. And I found I had a few hours in the evenings and I started writing again, and I realized it was the thing that was missing from my life. Mm. And that's when I started to take it more seriously. And uh, I, uh, so I, I was writing books at night, and then I met my wife, and, and, and we were both lawyers at the same time for a little while. And then um, she became pregnant, and we thought, well, one of us could stay home. And then we found out she was having twins, and then we thought, wow, it's going to make a lot, of more, lot more financial sense to do that. Right. So. I, I raised my hand very quickly, which is uh, helpful that my wife always wanted to be a lawyer, go figure. Um, so that worked out really well. And then so I was, I was writing books during, you know, between, you know, during nap times and between diaper changes and, um, and a few years was getting nowhere. So I had an agent for many years. Um, great guy stuck with me when I wasn't making a dime for either one of us. And then he said, you know what? It's people are self-publishing books. Why don't we give that a try? Um, because you know I'm I'm ready to send your books out, but you know Random House just laid off four thousand people and, and Penguin, and and so it was a tough time at the time that I started self-publishing. It was a tough time in traditional publishing. Mm. So I did the uh, the, the um, self-publishing route, and something <laughs> took hold for me. I had I had um uh, um. I had a book take off for me uh, called Brothers and Bones, and that was the key uh, to everything for me, really. And then after you know some some nice success there that I feel very fortunate about, and I can tell you why why I think that happened. And then I got I hooked on with uh, Thomas and Mercer um, for my next four books, 
But uh, I, I was actually really fortunate because my Brothers and Bones, I got it um, a review with Kirkus Reviews, and you're probably familiar with it, but it's, um, it's they consider themselves the world's toughest book critics. They, they advertise themselves as that, and sometimes they can be a little bit nasty even. Uh, but they're very difficult on, uh, they're very hard on, on, on a lot of books, and, and uh, they want to make sure that they only promote the, the books that they really love. And, you know, the uh, traditionally published books, only about 10% of them get a starred review. Well, I was lucky enough to, uh, to get one for my self-published book, which only 2% of those get starred reviews from them. And they ended up choosing Brothers and Bones as one of the best books of, uh, of that year. Wow. Um, and I honestly, I don't know who wrote that review um, because you never meet them. You never, they don't put their names on it. But whoever that person was, I think, had a huge hand in, in, in starting my career because I think when Brothers and Bones took off, I think that was the beginning of, if I'm on a map anywhere, it's because of uh, it's because of that book. I think it's mm. kind of funny that one person could have such an impact <laughs> on the rest of your career. Yeah, and a, a person I'll never I'll never meet. I'll never know who it was. And it was a terrifically written, written review. I wish I could have written it. It was beautiful, um, and I'll never and and I'll never know who it was. But I I, I thank that person mm. very much. So I have two questions, two follow up questions. The first, um, when you were writing, sort of on the side when. Um, you were practicing law and then also when your kids were small, um, just finding time here and there. Did you find it um, to be more of a release, you know, something enjoyable or was it still, did you still consider it to be work? Uh, no, it was definitely not work. It was, I had, I was like a man in the desert crawling around for a while, finally started, you know, drinking again, mm -hmm. um, found, found my oasis. It was really, it was really a wonderful experience because I had written for so many years and I, you know, when, when you, are a creative a person generally, uh, and you know certainly when you do it for a living, uh, your mind is always spinning creatively. I think uh, I think that you find yourself at the oddest times, you know, your mind wandering because you see something that could spark an idea or a snippet of dialogue you hear, and you're you know you see a situation and you're constantly almost almost subconsciously twisting it into something that could be something you use later on or or just your mind rewrites it in a, in a creative way where you think, oh, that would have been funny if she'd done that or how dramatic if he had said this or stormed out at that moment. And mm. it's constant, it really is. And what I found when I was in law school and I'd spent several years away from writing, that that part of my brain was shutting down a little bit or, or at least hibernating up. When I started writing again, it was like I woke up almost, which was really, it was really a, a great experience. And then I found that after a very little time, very short time of flexing those uh, mental muscles again, you came back and mm -hmm. I was making connections in the world that I didn't make, you know, when I was a lawyer. Wow. Um, and then another question about, I know you mentioned that you self-published um, your books. What's that process like and, and how do you get involved in doing something like that? So, so three of my, so my first three books were self-published. I actually had an easy route into self-publishing because I did have an agent, really great agent at a great agency. His name was Michael Barrett. And at the time it was Distal and Goderich, um, literary management. And now, now Michael Barrett is, is, is a named partner. So it's Distal, Goderich and Barrett, but he's a terrific agent. And we had, like I said, you know, sp spent a little bit of time trying to go the traditional route and we were getting great feedback, but they were saying, you know, two years ago, we would have published this in a heartbeat but times have changed. It's very difficult to break out a new author right now. Mm -hmm. So, so but because I had an agent, um, he, he helped me with it. He, they had, they were starting a, 
a service for their clients who wanted to start self-publishing because it was pretty new at the time. And they said, look, we'll help you and we will do the conversion of your files to the right format for the, you know, for Kobo and Apple books and, and, and Amazon and Barnes and Noble. They have different, you know, some of them have different formats and there's different technical things you have to know. And then I had to get a cover designer and they said, well, uh, you know, we'll help you, you know, we'll give you some names. So I, I will tell you the parts that I had a, a, a bigger hand in, but at the end of the day, it was made easier because they said, look, we'll upload these to the websites. We'll watch the prices. We'll make adjustments when you want to do a sale. Mm-hmm. Now for that, we'll take that 15%. I'm not saying you can't do this on your own and you probably can, but if you want to, we're here. And I thought, well, this, this guy had been with me for years when I wasn't making him any money. He's still here with me now. 15% of what could amount to be nothing is really nothing. So it's not, a, it's not a risk. I didn't expect to sell that many books at the time. So out of loyalty and a little bit of laziness, I said, yeah, let's do this. You can help me. And it turned out to be um, a great experience um, having, them, having them do a lot of the grunt work was huge for me. So the, the experience for the, you know, a lot of people who don't have that leg up is, you know, you write the book, you should, if, you know, if you want the best chance you get to, to have a, a great product at the end, you should find yourself, excuse me, you should find yourself an editor mm-hmm. to, to polish it up a little bit. And then you have to put the book in the right format. Um, you have to find a cover designer um, and a book designer. Now, it's not as easy as, you, as it sounds too, because if you're only self-publishing, a lot of the time you're only going to be doing eBooks. You can do uh, print books, but a lot of the time, you know, your main sales will be eBooks. And a cover that looks terrific on a bookshelf at Barnes and Noble um, might not work as well when you're, you know, people, you know, prospective readers are judging it on, on something the size of your thumb, right? So it's got to look good in mm-hmm. about, you know, a, an inch high on, on a screen. So you go to somebody, a designer who is familiar with that and the right co- co- colors to use in the cover and the right imagery and the size of the fonts and everything. So I hired a designer um, and then, and then, then comes the hard part because you upload the books to the various sellers sites and then it's about marketing. And that's where I didn't have any help. And that's, that's the hard part. Um, getting, getting noticed at sometimes is sort of like sort of screaming into a howling wind. You just can't hear your voice mm-hmm. and self-publishing can be like that a little bit. It's hard. Um, you can break through and you can get breaks and you can find people and, and be lucky enough to, uh, to get some notice or some reviews, but that is the most difficult part. And I was lucky, as I said, I was lucky with this, with this Kirkus review. Um, but uh, uh, um, getting going, I, got, I had a great deal of help from my agent, um, but that's generally the path for a lot of people to self-publishing. And, and again, it's, it's, uh, it's the, hard, the hardest part, really. Write the book, and then there's some stuff in the middle, and then, and then, and then promoting the book is very difficult to self-publish it. It's a, it's a little bit of a different thing if you're nonfiction, because with nonfiction, you can might be able to find connections with certain groups that right. do what you do. If it's a cooking thing or a wine book, you mm-hmm. know, or a, a pet book, you can, you can hook up with, with various uh, organizations that deal with those things and, and, and get a little help sometimes um, cross promotions and things. But for a fiction author, it, it can be, it can be difficult to make your voice heard. Yeah, I can really imagine. And um, <clears throat> I did want to ask you about the marketing that you do 
um, or have done on your your previous books um, because I was just looking around at your website and it's so user friendly actually and um, you you know span all kinds of different social media platforms um, do you find that that's helped you along the way and has it changed um, have you had to sort of adapt as the times change with technology I, I, I have the first website that I had for years was really bad I did that on my own um, I used WordPress and I created something that was really not user-friendly not very pretty uh, it worked for a while and I mean for me my website has has been what I value it most for is my connection to readers because that's how they reach out to me for mm -hmm. the most part I mean they do it through Twitter as well but but when they want to email me it comes through my website um, so I did a, I made a website that wasn't terrific. And then a few years ago, I hired somebody um, to do my website. And I, I love what she's done. And she, she's the one who keeps it up for me. Uh, and yes, it's got all the platforms on there. And I try to engage. I find social media to be a distraction. It's, 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 it's necessary. And it's, 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 it's a really lovely way to connect with readers. It really is. And fellow authors. Um, but I don't, I don't, enjoy as much trying to you know having to feed the beast having to put out content just to just to just to be heard mm -hmm. uh, and uh I, I think that's what i would have to do if i wanted to to be really really heard a lot of people are very good at it and and it comes naturally to them and i i envy that and i enjoy what they do but for me i i when i say something it's it's because i really want to say something or I'm, mostly i use my social media to promote other authors when i find work of theirs that, that they that that I like, um, or I use it to to um, uh, to thank readers for reading my work. Um, mm. But you, yes, you do have to. It does evolve, and you do have to stay with the times. And I, I think people have varying degrees. Uh, authors have varying degrees of 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 success with social media. Some are more like me; they're on the lower end of 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 of, of the time they spend doing it because of the value they think they'll get out of it not just you know, you know for, for the people on the other end really less than themselves uh, and some people are just so terrific at it and it's it, they have some fan, i mean they have some fantastic content and um it's a joy to read it i i, I happen to do it um a little more because mostly i want to connect with my, my readers but less so because i have something i think is really clever or funny mm. yeah i can imagine that it would be really nice to hear from somebody that has liked your work it's you know something that you've spent years or a year on um it, it is the it is the absolute best part of what i do it mm -hmm. really really is um I, I can still remember the very first emails i got I, I put that little link on my website and i was absolutely shocked to see anybody respond to you know to, to write to me but it's the best part it, it's um you know there's a cliche when you know when you get a bad review uh it sticks with you you know all day and you can get 10 you know fantastic reviews or letters and then you get one you know, nasty thing and that's all you think about but i have to tell you that it, those wonder those great things that you hear from people really do sustain you and um i was what really surprised me is when i would i would get an, an email from from somewhere else in the world you know from south africa or france mm. and um i remember my one of my favorite ones was when I got an email from a person who said I was talking, uh, you know, from Wicklow, Ireland, which I hadn't heard of, saying I was talking to my buddy in, in, in a bar last night about your books. We were talking about your books, and I thought, there's two people in Wicklow, Ireland talking about my book? That's fantastic. That's cool. um, 
It is. It is. And it really, I mean, it really is. It really is the best part. And, and, you know, you know, beyond that, I have to tell you that these don't come along very often, but I've gotten a handful of emails over the year from, over the years from people who have, who have been inspired by my work. It sounds, it sounds pretentious to say, but, but, you know, one was a person who said she'd given up writing and said, you know, I, I rekindled her joy of writing. So the cynic in me thought, well, she read it and said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. But mm-hmm. I think it was probably more than that. And so that was really great to hear. And, you know, I've gotten emails where somebody said, you know, they were having a, a dark time and they sat and read all of my books that week and it, it made them feel better. And not that my books are self-help books or anything, but they just took her away from whatever she was dealing with at that time. And uh, things like that are, are really terrific. And then, of course, the, the tried and true, you're my new favorite author. That mm-hmm. one, that one, that one will put you on cloud nine for a whole day. So, yeah, I mean, hearing from readers, it really is what it's all about, because so much of what I do is solitary. You know, I get to see my friends on Zoom or I get to you know, see my author friends a couple of times a year at conferences when we're able to get out. Um, but so much of my time is spent just staring at a screen all by myself. And nobody reads my books, not even my wife. Nobody reads them until they're, I've got an entire draft or two finished. My agent doesn't see them until they're all done. So, yeah, it's just the way I like to work. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, such a solitary existence that when, when somebody you know, from Japan writes to you and says they read a translation and they like your book. It's, it's fantastic. Mm. Um, so getting into your books a little bit, um, how do you pick topics for them? You know, wh- where do the ideas of the plot or the characters come to you? That's, um, that's one of the things I, sh- I don't want to say I struggle with the most, but I, I, I worry about the most because when I commit to a book, it's 11 months. So, you know, I have all these ideas rattling around my head. You know, they come to you all the time. And I've got these notebooks full of ideas and, and, and half-formed ideas. Which, and I don't like to, to work out an idea very um, fulsomely until I realize I want to work on it. Because if I do, I'll suck some of the magic out of it. Because if I go too far down a road now, spend, you know, days, weeks working on something and then put it aside, um, I feel like I've, I've mined too much of it when I come back to it. So... I, I leave these kernels of ideas lying around, these unpopped popcorn kernels. And then, I, and then when it comes time to work on a new book, I, I look at them and then I think, okay, which one is, gonna, is going to be worth the next 11 months of my life? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I, I, so I, I usually spend about a week paralyzed by indecision because I like several of them, yet, yet I know that once I start to go down it, I don't want to find out halfway through that this wasn't the one that really caught my heart. And, and I've got to start over. So I find that moment to be pressure filled and I want to get it right. But what I end up finding is that I choose the idea that of my own that, um, that spends the most time knocking on the door when I'm in my head, you know, when I'm in the shower or when I'm driving or about to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I choose my ideas among my own. Where they come from is anywhere. It's, it, it, I mean, you know, that's, it's, it's a little bit of a cliche to say that, but it's true. Um, I get them when I'm, you know, when I'm just walking along, I'll see something and, and, and it's always a, it's never a, a looking at something and seeing it. It's looking at something and seeing it and thinking, well, what if this happened? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I get ideas from songs. I'll hear a song and it'll, it'll just put me in a frame of mind where I think, oh, the person in this, in this song is doing such and such. What if they went there? 
sometimes I'll, I'll read a book or I'll see a, a movie trailer mm-hmm. and I'll forget. I'll start reading the back of the book and I'll think the book's going to go a certain place. And then it doesn't, you know, uh, in, in this one paragraph in the back of the book, I think about where I think it'll probably go and it goes somewhere else. And then I'll think, well, that other place it went could be a pretty cool book. And then that suddenly it's my idea, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I did have one person in my life who, well, not really in my life, who, who tangentially touched my life, who, who started the book for me. So my book, my book Brothers and Bones, um, which we discussed earlier, is uh, it's, it starts with um, a lawyer on his, uh, on his first day of his biggest case of his career. And he's walking along the Boston, uh, Boston Street and he ends up in the subway. And there's a, a homeless person he has seen every day. Uh, he passes him every day and he's disheveled and uh, in a long beard. And he, uh, he, he's the kind of homeless person that is clearly um, had some issues. Uh, and uh, he argues with parking meters and he talks to himself and, and you know, he, everybody has seen people like this. And this day, as our, as our hero, Charlie is stepping onto a train, he tosses a quarter in the cup, in this guy's cup, and he keeps walking. He steps on the train. And then as he does, this guy who has never spoken a lucid word in, in Charlie's presence before says very clearly, thanks, and then calls him by a nickname that no one in the world ever called him except his brother who disappeared 13 years earlier. That's the kickoff to the story. Uh-huh. And, and he realizes as the doors close that he never got a good enough look at the guy. Could it be his brother? But no one knew this secret nickname. How did this happen? And where this story came from was every day I would see the certain homeless person in a certain corner. Um, and, you know, I often, I often gave him a quarter or whatever I had in my, you know, change. Um, and, and one time I just imagined him looking me in the eyes and saying, Thank you, James. And then, and then going back to whatever he was talking about with himself. And I thought, wow, that would be so strange. Mm-hmm. And that, that, and then on that ride home in the subway, start, I started working on this story. Wow. So I'm sure these ideas come to you, you know, often with everyday life. Um, have you ever sort of gone down the road with multiple at a time, or is it usually you just you know go all in with one for however long? I go. I go all in with one idea. Um, I, I, I work on multiple only, as I said, only to the extent that I, I poke and prod a few until I realize which one is, is going to be the one that I spend the next you know, year of my life on. Because it's such a commitment. And, mm-hmm. and I can't, I mean, you end up working on more than one to some degree only because you'll be editing one book often while you're, you know, finishing up a book while you're, while you're already starting work on the new one. Um, but, but I don't write multiple books at the same time. I might, I might take a little bit of time out to write a short story or a poem or a song, but not a whole book. Mm. Um, so what does the process look for, you know, researching and writing a, a book of fiction? I'm sure the research portion is different for each book that you write, but um, what about the writing portion? It is. So, so when I come up with the, when I decide on the idea and I lock into one, uh, then I kick, kick it around for a little while and think about where it could go. I want to get a framework um, in mind, but then I start the research because uh, 
some people, I think some authors might research as they go. They just start the book and research when they need to. For me, uh, I like to do a fair about a fair bit of research before I start because uh, I'll often find something I didn't even uh, a question I didn't even know to ask. You know, will will I'll, I'll uncover something that will make me go down a road I didn't I would never have considered. Now there's um. There's a really wonderful book about screenwriting by William Goldman, who wrote The Princess Bride, Marathon Man, and um, uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Could Screenplay, for which he won an Oscar. There's a great book, and he talks about research. And he says, you know, there's a huge pivotal scene in, um, in, the, in the movie where Butch and Sundance are on the side of a cliff, and there's absolutely no way out, and the posse's going to get him. It's been chasing him for days. And, you know, finally they they end up having to jump off of this cliff into this, into this river below. And it's a great scene because, you know, Sundance, Sundance doesn't want to jump. And, and Butch finally finds out that it's because he can't swim. And Butch laughs and says, who, who cares? Your fall is probably going to kill you. And um, it was a really great scene in the, in, the, in the movie. And William Goldman says, you know, that, that whole thing, I built that whole, that whole sequence up to that moment because I found out most cowboys couldn't swim. Hmm. And it's just this great moment in the, in the book. And so I look for moments like that. So I'll start doing research and then I'll, I'll find out, you know, that agents do this or spies do that or, or politicians might travel in this kind of vehicle. And then that might give me something that I didn't know I would have to work with later on for a, a plot idea. So, I'll, so typically the idea comes to me, I'll research it for about, I would say a month, maybe five weeks. Um, then I start writing and then I'll fill, I'll fill holes in while I'm writing. I'll, then I'll fill holes in with more research as I go. Sometimes I just, I just put a sentence in bold type cause I can find it later with, with a, a find that way. And, uh, it'll just, it'll be a sentence that I, that I say, this sounds like it could probably be what cowboys do. And then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll come back later and I'll fill that in cause I don't want to slow the writing down. So I'll, my first drafts probably take. I would say five, six months. And then I rewrite them several times because that's when I really enjoy my work. I love taking my own work apart and, and tightening it and tweaking it. And, and then, you know, I'll say, why did I ever think that was the right word? And I'll put the right word in. Wow. Um, is that common for other writers to like to do that? I feel like that must be very difficult. To enjoy that? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think some people hate it. I, some authors hate rewriting and mm -hmm. and I've met others who say that's their favorite part for me it is it is definitely my favorite part I like to find out what words I can take out because I, I like I work quickly when I write the first draft and I try my best to choose the best words but sometimes I just I, I'm sacrificing that for the sake of speed and then when I can slow down you know it's it, it, it's it's easy to work with something that's there it's harder to work with nothing so when I've got something there I can I immediately say, oh, no, 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 that's not a powerful enough word. You know, my favorite, my favorite all-time quote about writing comes from Mark Twain. And I'm going to get the words slightly wrong. But the idea is the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's true. It's true. Some words are so powerful if you just put the right one in there. And I'll stop. Sometimes an author will use the right word and I'll stop. And I'll just, I'll say, you know, I'll clap. I'll say, you know, I'll applaud them for just how perfect that word choice was. It would have been so easy. Um, 
you know, to, 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 to skimp on, on, on that. And there are certain authors that I have. I have a few books on my, on my, a um, couple of books on my shelf that I'll pick up every now and then and just read a page because it'll remind me that, you know, there are authors out there who, who don't cheat on a single word. And I'll read it. I'll just read a paragraph or two and I'll say, look how every word was right. Mm. That's cool. Um, which, which of your books would you say has changed the most, you know, from the first draft to the final draft? That's an easy one. Brothers and Bones. Um, again, going back to Brothers and Bones. And this is my first of seven books, but, mm. but I, I wrote this and it was 110,000 110, words, which is uh, my longest book. At least at the time, it was 110,000. And I, I, I wrote it. And that's, you know, that was, that was a lot of work. That was months and months of my life. And I read it and I thought, huh, I really like the first 20%. And I got rid of the rest of it. I threw it all out. Wow. And then I thought, because the setup is the same. For, you know, when he gives the money to the homeless person and he says his name and then he looks for him for a little while and then there's the mystery of is he or isn't his brother, all that still held. And I loved it. But then I didn't like where I took the story. Mm-hmm. So I thought a little more about it, and it's a completely different book. The first one was a political thriller, and the, what it became is a, a, a book where a, with a, a U.S. attorney um, dealing with uh, the, the Boston Mafia. So uh, it, it's a it's it's really a completely different book. Eighty percent of it is 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 different every word, and it's just a different type of book. And now, do you have a, I don't know if you ever get this question, but do you have a favorite of your own books um, or even just a favorite character or? Um... I do, I do get that question. We, honestly, that's a question that we hear a lot and it's so funny. And, you know, the, the cliched response is, is, it's like having to choose which of your children you like better. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the truth is I do have two 16-year-old boys and there are things I love about one and like less about them. And there are things I love about the other. And like, it's, you know, it's like right. human nature. There's certain things you like. It's the same thing with my books. Um, I have ones that are, that are, that I, I love, I mean, I love them all for, for different reasons. I really do. Um, and, and a lot of that is because my books are really different from each other. I don't have any series characters or any series books. They're all standalones. Mm-hmm. And I did that and I do that and have done that because uh, I want to create a new world every time. I want to build a new, a new um, set of characters every time. Um, and I want to write different types of books. Um, within a certain parameter, I'm not gonna suddenly write a comedy or a, or a pop-up book, but, excuse me. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I, I, I set challenges for myself, um, you know, where I might do a, a straight thriller. One, one, I have one that has a little bit of a supernatural bend to it. I have one that's a, a police procedural. I decided I wanted to have a, a female main character, a female protagonist, so I wrote that. So, I, I, so for, for that reason, each of my books has a special place in, in my heart. Mm-hmm. I do. I will say that there are certain books that that help me along the most, and I love that about Brothers and Bones. And um, the, a book called The Prettiest One ended up on um, um, number one on Amazon for a little while. And, and you know, Brothers and Bones is a USA Today bestseller. I love that about that. So, so, so they helped me, and I appreciate that from them. I will say that I do have two characters that are my favorite characters, probably. Mm. And one is 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 the homeless man from Brothers and Bones. Um, I really enjoyed writing him. And the other guy is is the uh, protagonist of a book called Shady Cross. Um, 
Shady Cross was a lot of fun to write. He's an anti-hero. His name is Stokes. He doesn't even have a first name. At least I never gave him one. Mm -hmm. um, but he's not a great guy. And, and, and so he was a challenge for me to write because he, uh, he's somebody who I, I wanted to make it. It was a challenge for me to, to write somebody who you wouldn't trust. You, he's not your friend but you enjoy reading him for 300 and whatever pages. That's the, um, that's, that was a real challenge because I, I wanted the people, I wanted people to enjoy being inside his head, mm -hmm. but I had to write a character who has been untrustworthy his whole life. So to do that, I had to have, I had to give him a really worthy goal. Um, and I had to write him in, in, in an entertaining way, even though you wouldn't want to hang out with him, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. You, you probably would enjoy having a beer with him, except that he'll probably stiff you for the bill. Mm -hmm. um, and he was really fun to write. I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you the setup of that story because it's my favorite. This is my favorite setup. Brothers and Bones is, is my other one. But Shady Cross was, um, came to me like a lightning bolt when I thought of this idea. And the, the book wrote very quickly. So Stokes is... Um, is a ne'er-do-well, he's a small-time criminal who's never done anything for anybody in his life but himself. And he has had a little bit too much to drink one day and he hops on his motorcycle and he, he's riding through a country road, a, a back road, and he takes a turn too tight, forces another car off the road. It travels off through the trees, hits a, hits a tree, big crash. He goes and checks it out and the driver's dead. So I've started the book out with him killing somebody by accident and carelessness. Mm -hmm. And he's going to walk away. He's about to say, well, I'm going to hide. I'm not going to have anything to do with this. And he looks in the back of the car and he sees a, a backpack with money spilling out of it. And he thinks, well, I could use that money. He can't really use that money anymore. So I'm going to take it. So he takes the money and he, he, he he goes and he, he, he puts it, he, thought, he, he starts to daydream about all the stuff he can do with this money. And he goes to, a, he walks to a nearby diner because his motorcycle's wrecked. And he's sitting there in this diner trying to be inconspicuous with this bag of money next to him. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars in it. And he's thinking, well, should I pay off the loan shark that I owe money to? Or should I just skip town with all the money? And while he's sitting there, a phone starts to ring. And it keeps ringing. And people start to look at him and he thinks, I don't want people looking at me at a time like this. He realizes the phone's in the bag. So he, he finds a, a phone ringing in a pocket in the bag and it's a flip phone. It's an old flip phone. So he opens it and he's going to snap it closed, cutting off the call. But before he does, he hears, daddy, are you coming to get me? They say, if you give them money, they'll let you take me home. Mm. And he realizes that that he killed the father of this little girl and the money was the ransom to get her back. Wow. And so now I've got this guy who, no, none of, he doesn't have any friends because he's, he's essentially screwed them all over. Um, he's got nobody he can turn to if he wants to help this person. He's gonna do it all on his own. And at the same time, he's got, he can change his life with his money in his bag. So, so it was it was a very difficult balancing act to write and i think i think that you like being in his head i think his thoughts are are entertaining and interesting and sometimes brave mm -hmm. uh, but but i think they're very real what what somebody who who in his situation might be thinking so i think he was entertaining 
Um, even if that sometimes you thought, oh, buddy, don't do that. That's a terrible thing to do. And then, you know, the end is, you know, whether he succeeds or whether he decides to help and, and whether he succeeds or not. But it was a challenge for me to, to write him. But at the same time, it was a joy because I really got into this guy's head. And he's, I'd like to think he's nothing like me. Um, so for that reason, he was, he was, he's one of my probably two favorite characters that I've read. Mm, that's cool. Um, so I was going to ask you if you had, would ever see any of your books becoming a series, if that was a route that you would take, you would ever um, go down with any of them, but sounds like not. Uh, what about, well, a, it's, yeah. it, well, I mean, excuse me for interrupting. I mean, no. I, I, I would be interested in that if anybody loved them enough. I mean, I did option a few of my books um, uh, for, uh, with, uh, with producers. Um, it, it, it never took off. It's a, mm -hmm. You know, they sort of, they, they buy a lot of stuff and they don't, they can't make everything they buy. So they take, they take chances and they, and they, and they option the rights to your material. And then if they like it enough, they, they re-option it. And then maybe they make something, maybe they don't. But I had a couple um, uh, that were optioned and actually Shady Cross was one of them. It was optioned in England, believe it or not. Mm. Uh, one of the, one of the big um, uh, cable companies in England was actually thinking about making a series out of it, uh, which would have been. I would have loved seeing how this this small time thug in Indiana ends up, uh, <laughs> you know, translating to uh, to England. Right. Uh, and they they optioned it and then they re-optioned it and they were trying, but it just it didn't go through. But I mean, sure, I'd love to see I'd love to see a series. It would be it would be fantastic. I don't tend to write things that that lean towards series. I don't write mm -hmm. series themselves, but I think um, someone in a couple of my books had seen enough in the books to, uh, to be a jumping off point for a series. And I think that'd be fantastic if it happened. I'd love it. Right. Especially because I, especially because I was at one point trying to be a filmmaker. So the idea of having one of these things end up on screen would be, would be, would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I can see the, um, your first book, Brothers and Bones, um, you know, maybe with a Ben Affleck or uh, <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> well, honestly, <laughs> honestly, yeah, with the Boston connection, that would be yeah. great. I did, that one was optioned as well. Um, was almost optioned by Slash, the guitarist from Brothers and Bones. I guess he wanted to be a producer at one point. That did end up getting um, getting optioned. And uh, some people were talking about trying to get it to Ben Affleck. I don't know if it ever got to him. He'd also done a few Boston crime movies, so he may have been ready to do something different. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if he wanted to get involved with that, that would have been fantastic. Mm. Um, so I did want to ask you about uh, just thriller and mystery as a, as a genre in general, um, which is definitely one of the most popular genres at our library. We've got a lot of mystery lovers. Um, what mystery authors do you draw inspiration from or uh, just generally enjoy? So, so these genres are, are all connected, you know, um, whether it's thriller or mystery or psychological suspense or domestic suspense or just straight suspense, you know, in the thriller umbrella is very big. I don't read as many mysteries per se, probably, as, than I do as I do thrillers, probably. Um, although I've written both, um, I will say that I have been always inspired by Michael Connolly. And I'm sure you're going to know every name I give you, but Michael Connolly has this long-running series um, character named Harry Bosch. He's also got the series on Amazon Prime um, called Bosch. Uh, he is a fascinating, first of all, Michael Connolly is a fantastic author. And he really, I mean, nobody gets this, the procedural stuff right as, as easily and as well as Michael Connolly does. It's, it's, all, it's all note perfect. Um, and his character is really interesting because 
his character changes with the times. So, uh, you know, he's not a he's not a James Bond guy who who never changes. This guy, every book is he's growing older, and uh, which Michael Connolly says he regrets starting the series when the guy was forty years old because he's been <laughs> writing for so many years now that you know the guy's retired. Right. But anyway, it's a Michael Connolly's a fantastic author. Um, a guy named Nelson DeMille has some serious characters and some standalones that are wonderful. Um, Jack Reacher is hugely popular. His book, um, Lee Child writes those books are fun. Um, my, one of my very favorite authors, and he, and he wrote my favorite, probably my favorite thriller of all time, is a guy named Greg Isles. He's got some serious characters as well. Um, and they're, usually, they're based in uh, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got this one book. It was his first novel. It's called Black Cross. And it's a World War II historical fiction. And it's absolutely the most moving thriller I've ever read. But it's also action-packed and, you know, it deals with Nazis and, and, and some Holocaust stuff and some secret agent stuff. And there's action and, and none of the characters are black or white. It's absolutely beautiful. I can't believe it was his first book. It's so wonderful. And I met him um, a couple, two years ago. I was talking to him and I said, uh, I said, you know, he was signing, he was signing some books and I was standing next to him. And I said, you know, that's a wonderful book you're signing, but my favorite one is, is Black Cross. And he looked at me, he said, I've got 19 New York Times bestsellers. That's the only one that's not. And that's my best book. Wow. Um, so it's a really one. So I recommend anybody start off with Black Cross if you're looking for historical fiction. Um, and then there's, there's, there's the masters, you know, there's, I mean, I love Stephen King. He's fantastic. And, and it's such a wide variety of types of books. Any mood you're in, you can find something from Stephen King, mm-hmm. um, Dean Koontz. And then I go, and then if I go far enough back, I really love Twain and Dickens. Mm. That's great. Um, so this is sort of, you know, just a general follow-up question to that mm-hmm. one, but, um, usually on the podcast, I will interview other librarians at the library about books that they're currently reading, um, given that we have a lot more time <laughs> nowadays <laughs> to do so. Um, so have you um, had time to read? And if so... I do. I read all the time. Mm-hmm. I, 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 think, uh, I think I have to read. You know, first of all, I would have to read even if I wasn't an author. It, it feeds the soul for me. But um, I also read all the time anyway, um, because I like to see what others are doing. Um, sometimes I'll read a book because the plot sounds intriguing and I want to see how, how, how they pull it off. Sometimes in certain authors, I'll read anything they write because of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometimes I'll just, I'll, I'll see something and I'll say, there's no way that you can have an entire book about that character. You know, that, that, who can pull that off? And I'll, and I'll read it for that. Um, but yeah, I read, I read every single day. And um, I just finished a book. Um, um, by a, an author named J.D. Barker, um, the, uh, I think it's called The Fifth to Die. He's got a se- he's got a series of several. Um, I just finished um, a, a series by Meg Gardner. Mm. Um, well, I didn't finish it; it's only three books in. But I just finished. I just read the third one. Um, uh, it's, it's called the Unsub series. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a it's a really it's a really terrific series. If, if um, uh, um, she's really gotten a lot of uh, attention with it, but she's got, it's called Unsub and um, Into the Black Nowhere um, was her most recent. And there's a thriller author that's really come on strong um, called Nick Petrie. He's got a, a, a series character named Peter Ash. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he's terrific. And then, and there's an author named Jack Carr, who's, who's got a couple of books out um, that are also wonderful. The first one is a terminal list and it's, it's just incredible. It's really something. So um, I, right now I, I, I'm, I'm reading a book actually by Linwood Barclay, who's a, a Canadian author who I think he lives in Connecticut now. Mm. Uh, it's an older book. It's called The Accident. And this is another book that I just, I, I, I thought, you know what? It's an older book, but I hadn't read this one. And, you know, it, it looks interesting. It's a kind of character that I might be interested in. So I, I'm starting to read it for that. Wow. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a lot. I'm impressed that you can remember yeah. the titles too, because somebody ever asked me what I'm reading, I said, oh, something <laughs> by someone. That's great. Um, yeah, so I think that's all my questions. I, I really appreciate um, you taking the time to talk today, and I, I'm sure our patrons will too. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, and if you want to, um, if you're working on anything right now, um, I can also. Yeah, well, I just started something. Uh, I just started something new. I don't have a, a release date for it yet. I'm I'm only um, I'm only eighteen thousand words into it, so I, I don't really talk about my books far in advance and, until they're actually finished, because right. I find that they change too much. And if I ended up, if I end up, you know, saying I'm going to write a book about book about killer robots, and then a year later, a book about clowns comes out, and somebody says, "Where's your killer robot book?" I feel silly. Yeah. So uh, I wait till I wait till they're all done and I know they're coming out and that's when I uh, that's when I talk about them. But it, you know, I'm, I'm working on a thriller. I'm always working on a thriller. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, so we'll be sure to get it for the library when it comes out. When whatever. That sounds great. <laughs> that sounds great too. I'll certainly let you know when it does. Okay, great. Um, yeah. So thank you so much um, and good luck with everything. Thank you. Same to yeah. you. Okay. Bye now. Have a good day.